Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Adam. Hey, guess what's coming up? I What is coming up? Our 200th episode. Can you believe it? Wait a minute. We've done 200 episodes? Well, not quite yet, but we are so close I can smell it. Or maybe that's just something in my house. I don't know, <laughs> but I smell something. We've done 200 episodes of this podcast? Yeah. Well, technically we've done more, but we didn't count all the movie reviews and the other stuff where we talk about our lives, oh. whatever those were. <laughs> So then we blew right past 200 and nobody even noticed. Yeah, that's that's true. But but we we have an official 200 coming up and uh, we need to do something fun and exciting because that's what another podcast would do. <sighs> Absolutely. And if I've learned anything in this life is to take something else and ape it. Exactly. This whole podcast thing. Who would have thought? <laughs> um. So... Uh, what kind of a gimmick could we do for the 200th episode, Adam? Um, well, for the 75th episode, I think, you flew out to Buffalo. Mm. And for the 50th episode or something, I flew out to Madison. That was expensive. Yeah, let's not do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, I don't like you enough to fly halfway across the country to see you. Is there something what that happened? We... What happened over the past four years? We don't like each other anymore? Yeah. Not enough to get on a plane. I mean, it seems like with this digital interconnected age, there ought to be something to bring us closer so that we don't have to go through all that air travel. I mean, I hear that you have to get pre-screened these days. I'm not going to pay for that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> what airline do you fly? <laughs> I, I don't. That's the point. All I hear is rumors. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, flying's okay. But <laughs> okay, since you're frightened of it, let's uh, let's stay away from that. Okay. Um, hmm. What do people do to get close without actually getting close besides the, the regular rigmarole of a podcast? Hmm. Maybe with a podcast being an audio format, we could really put a wrench into it and make it a video format. Nobody's thought of that yet. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you with everything except for the last bit. But let's not even talk about that. Okay. And maybe, here's something else nobody has done yet. We could do a live stream of a milestone episode. Again, I'm pretty sure people have done that, but going right past that, yes, I like the idea. Okay. I, I, I like your moxie. Yeah, I like your gusto. Okay. I like your pants. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so there you go, everybody. We are going to do a 200th episode ex extravaganza gala event in which Adam and myself present our images in moving format on the internet probably on YouTube definitely on Google how do you, how do you feel somewhere. about somewhere how do you feel about that it'll definitely be streaming somewhere It'll be streaming, and we will get that URL out to Facebook and all the social medias that we're attached to that we don't necessarily know how to run quite right. But, you know, that's because we're lazy. Here's what we're going to do, Adam. Uh, we're going to pick a date. We don't have that date yet, but we're going to pick that date. So you watch the Twitters and you watch the Facebooks. And when the time comes, when everything is ready, somewhere around the time that we publish episode 199, we are going to publish a web page and that is where you will be able to go to watch the 200th episode live and hey if you don't get an opportunity to watch it live we get it you've got lives you're busy you got jobs and kids and wives and husbands and whatnot it'll be on youtube archived forever forever 
Well, probably nobody <laughs> deletes data this day and age. That's true. <laughs> so look for that coming soon. And now here's your regularly scheduled podcast. Whoa, whoa, welcome to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss the February 1985, on sale November 6th of 1984, issue of the Uncanny X-Men number 190. This one's titled, An Age Undreamed Of. Some of them Hey, man, there's some new mutants in the little Marvel box. What the hell's up with that? Oh, yeah. Well, they have a they have a part in this issue, and I guess they felt that um, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I didn't either until just now. They also look like they're Bill Sienkiewicz uh, new mutant heads. Well, it's weird because, like, the, the X-Men ones are the usual ones. Well, the X-Men ones look like, yeah, like a, like Cockrum or, you know, normal. You know what else is odd about this cover? What? There are word balloons on it. I hate that. It's it's unusual for the X Men. I don't I don't hate it, but it's always surprising when it happens. It's actually it's kind of meaningless dialogue because like if you are uh, a new comic book collector and you see this cover, um, it's confusing as all get out. And then you've got these words that just don't make any sense. So you've got this guy who's wearing like a black wizard outfit. Maybe he's got a giant medallion, like some feather neck dress type thing. And in the foreground, you've got this like two headed man thing, which is all white. And the guy says, says, uh, scream, Xavier, scream through you. I shall rule the X-Men and the world. How could you say this is meaningless? This is like a scene that uh, we only get a panel of in the comic. And it's it's kind of like getting a cut scene or something. Well, when I say meaningless, I mean meaningless to, like, the new potential comic book buyer. Well, every cover is meaningful to a, or meaningless to a new potential comic book buyer. I mean, this one says guest starring the Spider-Man and the Avengers, so it's kind of like, I don't know if I'm a new comic buyer. I'm like, whoa, X-Men, Spider-Man, Avengers all in one? Count me in for my 60 cents. That's probably why they put that particular dialogue on there, because they're like, Ah, oh, the rest of this just doesn't make any sense. Let's make sure everybody knows that Spider-Man and the Avengers are in this issue. You got Xavier's head on the white head, and then there's another head, which I recognize, but I won't spoil it. Do you actually know that that's Xavier's head? I mean, I guess, yeah, maybe you do, because the eyebrows. Yeah, the eyebrows give yeah, it away. you're right. Plus, also, the caption, the balloon is, scream, Xavier, scream. Yeah, but maybe he's just, like, looking beyond this white guy to Xavier. Maybe we're Xavier. And he's like, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't, you know, scream like I'm telling you to. Nah. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> All right, well. Isn't is, that like a B-movie title? Scream, Xavier, scream, or something like that? If there's a movie called Scream, Xavier, scream, I'd very much like to see it. Well, it's not called Scream, Xavier, <laughs> scream, but it's a similar title. Oh, I'd probably. Probably some cheesy B-grade horror film. Which, by the way, is going to be Adam and I's next podcast. 
cheesy B-grade horror films. Oh, man, that brings me back to our childhood. <laughs> you know we could pull it off. Oh, we totally could. We could just <laughs> we could just go through all the stuff we watched as kids. Oh, man, you guys, you guys don't even know what you're missing. We could just call it Jeremy and Adam Talk Bagongers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Later on, we would describe what that last word meant. But until then, you just have to guess. Anyways, oh, we're not revealing it until we do our second podcast. That's right. Uh, anyways, I, I'm not a fan of this cover. I think it's okay. Yeah, okay. I was not a fan of this issue, but really, I think it's okay. Oh, I, I can't wait to talk about that. Okay. Uh, because when I, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much here, but when I was, th- I've never read this issue before. Um, really? I've, I've read issue 191 and 189 multiple times because I had those in my collection, but for whatever reason, I didn't have this particular issue in my collection. And so whenever, or when I was thumbing through it, getting prepared for this issue, I was like, oh, God, this looks terrible. But as I started getting, like, reading it, I was like, oh, I really started actually getting into it. So when we get- I, I had the very same similar experience. Looking at this issue, it does look terrible. But <laughs> but reading it, it, uh, it definitely is a lot better than it seems. But I'll talk about what yeah, I Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait. All right. So uh, we open this thing up, and we do not actually get the credits or the- um, the title yet yeah, no we get kind of like a prologue and it's, it's another new york centric uh beginning this is like two issues in a row that we get the statue of liberty and a lot of new york talk yeah i know i think chris claremont is feeling really uh new yorky right now but it it also still it kind of maybe he uh feels i feel like it works better here than it does in the last issue I agree. Yeah. Uh, because what you're setting the stage like, hey, it's New York. Here's, uh, you know, the Statue of Liberty and the Brooklyn Bridge and, and the Apple Store and the Apple Store. Wait, what? Isn't that the Apple Store that the military men are standing in front of? It looks like a Cobra Terradrome to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. But yeah, Isn't that what an Apple Store is? <laughs> Maybe. Are you saying iPads are the invention of uh, Cobra Commander? Serpentor. Serpentor and his bid to take over the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe Pokemon Go is his latest weapon in that arsenal. Well, let's see. Pokemon Go, that's owned by Nintendo, right? Yeah. Oh, so it's a big conglomerate, a big technology conglomerate. So uh, the Decepticons are (laughs) Nintendo and Apple is um, Cobra. Cobra. Oh, they're teaming up. Anyways, yeah, they're setting the stage here, and it is kind of uh, odd because every other panel is kind of a nice, serene New York, and then the other panels are military. Something's going on. Statue of Liberty, you got jets and helicopters. And as we turn the page, that's when we see an age undreamed of, and there's a big uh, green border surrounding all of Manhattan or a portion of Manhattan. According to the following pages, it is Lower Manhattan. Okay, so Lower Manhattan is surrounded. It's it's all castly and old timey. But if you've ever seen a map of Manhattan, you you know what you're looking at, and this is not what you would expect. Right. It's got the shape. It's got the size. But the buildings are all old and Persian and yeah, uh, old tiny boats. Chris Claremont is the writer. John Romita Jr. is the artist. Dan Green is also the artist with John Romita Jr. Glenn Sweeney is the colorist. Tom Rakowski is the letterer. And Nascenti is the editor. And Heem Huter is the chief. Not even he, the chief editor, just chief. Oh, well, yeah. He's just chief nowadays. I can't Stop believe- calling me the editor. I don't do anything. I'm just the chief. They should just rename him to Chief Shooter. <laughs> no R. Got no time for that. Do you think, uh, so we know that the Marvel method is in play with some of these, but do you think that like Chris is like, what do you want to draw this issue, John Romita? And John Romita is like, New York. And Chris is like, again? <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Now you got to draw, draw old timey New York. And John Romita is like, 
Oh, I like it. I, you know, I almost felt like this was, uh, I mean, this this is definitely a break from the norm of X-Men. So I almost do feel like it's, it's Chris saying, uh, you know, what would you like to draw? And he's like, I got an idea for a story, Chris. And uh, this is what we get. It feels very Claremontian to me. Like, well, uh, the, the dialogue the, the, does the aspects, not just the dialogue, but the whole story, like the the sorcery aspect and the really because I I felt like it. Uh, I felt like the comic felt like it was artist led and not writer led. But it's I, a, it's a, it's a distinct possibility. But okay. I, I it just feels like a Claremont story to me. You know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's in league with the 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 narratives that he's setting long term. But it just feels like a Claremontian kind of. I don't know. I, every time I read something that's like sword and sorcery, I just mm. assume that it's Chris Claremont. Well, yeah, he isn't to that sort of thing. Uh, the other thing about this particular issue is it has surprisingly little X Men in it. That's true. <laughs> So anyways, yeah, after after that two-page spread of the altered New York, we shift our focus over to the White House, where Valerie Cooper is debriefing the, I don't know, Joint Chiefs of Staff, maybe. Who knows? Somebody. And I really liked this part of the story. This felt like, this is like the two-page summary of the last few issues, but in this case... We didn't see those two issues, so it's exciting. Right. Because the last issue, we left off with some guy getting stabbed and all the fire starting and Kulan Gath going like, I'm free! And now we jump to this. So, yeah, uh, Valerie Cooper is going to help us play catch-up. And uh, she does, in fact, tell us that lower uh, Manhattan has been surrounded by a curtain. And uh, inside that curtain uh, is old-timey stuff. The military have been engaged. They've been trying to penetrate it. But apparently penetrating the curtain isn't a problem because you can go right through it. The, the problem is when you go through it, you turn old-timey. Yeah, she says it's everything animate and inanimate has been regressed to a barbarian state. Yeah, it's like Conan in there. Police became civic guards, guns became swords, cars became horses and chariots, and um, yeah. So that's that's rough. So when the soldiers go in, um, they they uh, they maintain their job essentially, uh, but they're altered. Uh, in such a way that they don't really remember where they came from, but they have an idea of what it is they should be doing. So they carry on doing that. They come out as like centurions. Yeah. And so they carry on uh, going, and apparently a few people have accidentally uh, escaped. Nobody necessarily wants to escape because nobody knows that they need to escape because for all they know, the rest of the world is exactly like that. This is normal for everybody that's inside this curtain. But the people that have escaped uh, have returned uh, to their normal whatever they were and uh, have been able to vaguely recall what it is that was going on in there. And so that's how Valerie Cooper, with the help of some satellite imagery, was able to piece together exactly what's going on inside the curtain. She reveals that the city is ruled by a wizard named Kulan Goth, which, as you mentioned, was the uh, the name that was spouted from the necklace by Jimmy Rodriguez in the last panel of the last issue. So he's he's made some uh, quite a lot of moves towards owning this portion of Manhattan. We get a photo of Kulan Goth. Not sure how they got this image, but uh, it's it's an extreme close up. Uh, reminds me of that guy from that. X-Men issue way back when, when we were in Kesar land and... Oh, Lord. <laughs> I, I don't remember who that was. Yeah, I don't think it's the same guy. But I don't think so either. Uh, the Morlocks the uh, have been um, 
kind of taken on as protectors of Kulan Gath. They've been running around uh, executing people and doing human sacrifice, particularly on children. His victims are exclusively children. Now, I wonder... this guy's not good. This guy's not (laughs) messing around. But what I wonder is, you know, when all is said and done, I mean, like, spoilers, New York's going to go back to New York, right? We all know (laughs) this doesn't last forever, but, like, do those children sacrifices do the like were there a whole bunch of children killed in new york one would presume so i mean i maybe i mean we don't know how how this is gonna end we don't we don't i mean maybe there is like a a dialogue everything went back the way it was and nothing changed everybody who died came back to life and it was happy i don't remember how issue the next issue ends but uh well we'll have to stick a pin in that and, and and come back to that because that's pretty grim yeah uh, they've been trying to get a hold of the Avengers and the Baxter Building, which is uh, temporarily or the headquarters of the Fantastic Four, and also Shield's New York uh, field office. But they can't get a hold of anybody, and that is because they have managed to get a few sightings of superheroes. And as with everybody else, they have all converted to a barbarian state. Uh, old, you got old timey Captain America. Old-timey Wasp, old-timey Star Fox, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, Rogue, and Spider-Man, who hasn't changed at all for some reason. I would argue that Vision and Scarlet Witch also haven't changed. Well, we don't know what Vision looks like underneath that cloak. That's a good point. And for all I know, Star Fox hasn't changed, but I don't read Avengers. Does he not? Yeah, Star Fox looks the same to me, but I think his clothing is different. And so... Valerie Cooper, as she continues to debrief, she's like, uh, you know, those people uh, uh, are continuing to do what they would normally do if it was normal times, but they're in old times, so they don't know exactly what's going on. So uh, they they are protecting people as best they can. Um, And somehow they also know that Spider-Man is unaltered, and they don't know why. Their powers and lives are now defined in terms of the age they're living in. So uh, their their friends remain friends, families, families. The Avengers are still a band of warrior heroes. Um, I wonder if any of their powers change because it makes it sound like their powers might slightly alter. Yeah, they don't really. I mean, they they touch on it when they need to, but it's not really fully explained, at least from how I read it. That's when uh, a guy, a senator, maybe a joint chief of staff, who knows, a, a, a politician. Senator Jackass. Senator Jackass chimes in and he says, Dr. Cooper, you have mutants. That outlaw group, the X-Men, lined up along with Avengers as heroes. What's the idea? Why Why one of their members, that girl, Rogue, is a known criminal? Somebody else says, filthy muty vermin. This whole mess is probably their fault. They ought to be stamped out once and for all. And that's when Senator White Mustache bangs his fist on the table and says... Oh, p- mutants are people too. Why, I was listening to the radio the other day and there was this big racist commentator. It wasn't on the radio, it was on the TV. In fact, I was watching it on my Watchman. <laughs> and the rhetoric that was coming out of there was horrible, terrible, calling for muties to be round up and gotten rid of. As a World War II vet, it sounds to me like uh, this this rampant racism is very Hitler-esque and you guys suck. I was 20 when we liberated Buchenwald. And I'll carry the memory of that awful day with me till the day I die. You kids. <laughs> you don't Mallory know. Cooper has to interrupt saying, gentlemen, come on. The world, the, 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 the New York has been taken over by barbarians. It's not the time. It's, it's very interesting. 
because Valerie Cooper also chimes in. She's like, right now, the fate of the world may well depend on those very mutant, quote unquote, vermin who have no reason to help us and every reason to wish us harm. Perhaps if they give us a second chance, we can change that. I hope I pray so with all my heart, which is very odd because Valerie Cooper has kind of been leading this whole like anti-mutant thing she's had a change of heart and when... she's, she's standing right next to henry peter gyrick who's he's not going to change his stripes no he's not going to change but you know maybe the fact that rogue saved valerie from the dire wraiths heads uh... turned her you know opinion it'd be nice if they threw that in as I... a clarification but maybe they will in the future i forgot about that meanwhile we switch our attention to storm who was on a boat leaving for africa the heck she doing here apparently she didn't make it very far out of the harbor nope apparently the boat was also enshrouded by this old-timey curtain and uh she's been transformed just like everything else and that's when a transformed sunder and callisto barge in on her suite and say aurora you're under arrest what i meant to check the original printing to see if the color was weird because sunder changes multiple colors in this does he well he's like he's he's got uh caucasian skin in the beginning and then by the bottom of the page he's green oh yeah and i don't know if that's just the uh the printing of this thing of the uh, epic collection or if it is actually reflective of the issue i'm I'm looking at it right now, and here's what I here's what I'm finding. Nope, it's it's consistent with the actual printing. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't think that they would have gone through the effort of recoloring this, but maybe. I guess they recolored the uh, the omnibuses in some cases. Yeah, the early the early Marvel masterworks were recolored, and then people were very upset about that, yeah. so they stopped doing that. It's like the whole Star Wars effect. Don't mess with it. Well, exactly. It was like the colorization of movies from the 60s. You know, they were taking those old 60s comics and they were recoloring them to be more modern. And people were like, that's dumb. I saw a um, colorized version of an old version of uh, A Christmas Carol. And Mm -hmm. uh, it looks weird. (laughs) Yeah, the colorization was never really a very good technology. It It probably would have gotten better had it been allowed to, Eh. but I think people were just creeped out by it. I don't know. And the sanctity of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's how your your memories are of it. Like, you know, I think they, I remember like in my household, we would watch It's a Wonderful Life every uh, Christmas time. And mm-hmm. one year, I think NBC owned the rights. And one year, they they aired the colorized version. We watched it for like ten minutes, and, and the whole I was young too. I was like, you know, ten or eleven. But as a family, we agreed to go up to the TV and turn the color dial down to black and white to make it normal because <laughs> it just didn't look right. That's awesome. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, it just I'd never seen this particular Scrooge movie, but I was like, there's no reason for this, and in fact, it just looks like a pastel mess with all this fake colorization in it. So, hmm. anyways. Yeah, so Sunder and Callisto are here to arrest Aurora on behalf of their master, Kula and Goth. And uh, Storm's like, no. <laughs> They're going to put a slave collar on her, which is, not only is it a collar, but it's also, they, they heat it up uh, and it's metal and it's going to burn her flesh. It's going to brand her for all time. Sunder must have the ability to heal because he's just grabbing this metal right out of the fire. And there's a, a, a foreground scene of his hand holding this molten collar with his flesh sizzling. But it doesn't oh, matter. So this, the green person behind Storm isn't Sunder. No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. Sto- uh, Sunder's in the foreground holding that collar. Okay. So the, whoever the green guy is is holding Storm. She flips him over. 
uh, and into the fiery ashes, which sets the boat on fire, which gives her kind of the distraction she needs to make her escape. Mm-hmm. She rips off the lower portion of her outfit, uh, I guess her dress, because she feels it will get in the way. And uh, she somebody slices the uh, sails, I suppose, and some of them go up and some of them go down. And she grabs one of those ropes. It's very piratey, and she goes up to uh, one of those one of those things that you go up a mast. Yes, a mast. And she's followed by a bikini-clad Callisto who's got a knife in her teeth. Callisto calls her a witch, which is interesting. Well, so I guess, I, well, think, I guess maybe that's part of their early relationship. Yeah, I mean, other the, world, right? I think they'll touch on it a little bit more. Um, but she doesn't have her powers. I mean, we we know that, and that carries on through Kula and Goth's magical curtain, right? Um, so she she's just using her wits. She's using her skills. Uh, she's being chased by Callisto, and uh, Callisto pulls out her knife, and she's Callisto does not know that she doesn't have her powers. She mm-hmm. she says, "They say you are a goddess, so this is an even fight because all I got is a knife." I have no weapon. And so she, Callisto, slices Aurora in the chest. And as she's sliced in the chest, the flashes of who she is and the memories of everything that she was comes roaring back to her. And she's like, oh, something's wrong here. This ain't right. But she doesn't have time to think about that because the mast is now burning. So she dives off the mast, grabbing Callisto. They both go into the water. She flips Callisto around so that she takes the brunt of the blast or the the brunt of the crash into the water. Uh, Callisto pretty much goes unconscious and they start swimming away accidentally through the curtain and suddenly they're they're back to normal. Yeah, there's a little blurb in there as they're at there as they're falling where Storm's thinking to herself like I could I could just I could kill her. I could she could die here. She's like, "No, I need to fight those urges. Whatever I have become, I will remain true to the woman I was." As they crash cross to the curtain they're themselves again and they see a gunship and uh I don't know. Storm thinks to herself that Callisto spoke of somebody named Kulan Goth, so she's kind of got her memories from when she was in old-timey New York. And what of the X-Men who were in Manhattan last night? Were they cursed as well? What has happened to them? So last night so the boat just didn't go anywhere. That's a little yeah, well maybe it's it's been like that. I, I based on that whole Valerie Cooper thing, I would say that it's been like this for at least 12 hours. So Okay. I'm going to say that her boat was taken off, leaving, uh, and just as it was leaving, that was when Jamie Rodriguez was stabbed and the medallion fell on the ground and the fire started. That works. Okay. So let's flash our attention to magic time. This was confusing. (laughs) This was very confusing. Like, yeah. It starts out by saying, you see, my dear Doctor Strange, how easy it is, but it turns out that... Kulan Goth is just talking to Doctor Strange, who we don't see until you get to the bottom of the page. But the man here... Okay, now I think I get it. The man here is the professor. Yes. I this was... Is the- this is the old-timey version of the Professor standing over the old-timey version of Caliban. The old-timey... Caliban looks the same. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the old-timey Caliban looks a lot, a lot like modern Caliban. No, but um, when it says here, you see, my dear Doctor Strange, how easy it is, and you're looking at this bald man in robes, I was like, I mean, I don't know that much about Doctor Strange, but I was assuming that this was Wong. Oh, see, I was assuming it was Doctor Strange, 
Oh, well, Doctor Strange isn't bald. No, he isn't. But <laughs> this is old-timey Doctor Strange, so maybe oh. old-timey Doctor Strange is bald. Okay. That would make sense. So we were both wrong, and it's actually the professor, which makes a heck of a lot more sense, because in the next panel, we see the professor and Caliban's heads uh, normal, and then we see them fused together into the cover creature that we talked so about. What it turns out that is happening is that Doctor Strange is a prisoner of Kulan Goth, and we see him at the bottom of the page. And he, his mouth has been removed and he's turned elastic somehow. He has no nose either, so it's like he can't breathe. He is trapped. He's breathing out his eyes and ears. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Kulan Goth is bragging to him about how easily he can mesh uh, Xavier and Caliban together into a slave for him. Uh, yeah, I feel like maybe Kulan Goth was afraid that... Um, the professor's psychic powers would be enough to overcome him. So he had to do this whole fusing thing. He does. He points out several times that, you know, were had the professor had more time or were he in his own realm, he might've been able to conquer him. So he, Dr. Strange is a problem and he is handled. And now the professor was a problem and he is handled. And the only other problem left is uh, Spider-Man who he, refers to as man spider frequently yeah and uh man spider has not been transformed which is super weird i'm assuming there's a reason that has to do with kulan goth's prior relationship to spider-man which i'm not familiar with and there is no uh captions to denote what issues those take place in i would like to know yeah, I'm, I'm I'd, with you. I'd go back and read them. Sure. This guy seems really powerful, so it'd be nice to know how Spider-Man, I mean, I would assume that they fought and how did Spider-Man beat him. But He probably starts out as a kooky Stan Lee villain. <laughs> probably. So anyways, yeah, uh, now he has got the Morlocks combing the city to find uh, the accursed hero Man-Spider. And that's when we get to see Doctor Strange in his uh, elongated, stringy form. Basic, sure basically, Doctor Strange, Strange is not going to help anybody today. What is he inside of? Is that Kulan Goth's necklace or something? Uh, I don't know, because there's like some eyes in the foreground, which I'm assuming are Kulan Goth's eyes. I don't know. It's It's got a weird shape to it, like it's the gem on his necklace from the previous panel. Uh I don't know. It's all weird magic-y sorcery stuff, so it doesn't have to make sense. I just want to understand. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kulan Goth, I guess, is able to multitask because he's like... Uh, he's got so many Morlocks to run his, uh, his things. I mean, he's also got... Not only is he going after Man-Spider, but he's also going after all the Avengers and all the X-Men and the New Mutants. Did you think that he looked similar to the living monolith? Uh, was it the living monolith? No. Oh, okay. The one, remember that cover with Colossus and Colossus gets red hot for the first time mm. and he's fighting some old timey guy in Kesar land. No. Or in the Savage land. I didn't really care for those Savage land issues. So yeah, I yeah, I know. Kind of <laughs> blocked those out. Okay. Oh. No, I don't remember. So, yeah, prisoners are brought forth, and they are the new mutants. And, uh, well, a guy who initially I thought was uh, Peter Parker, but it's not. Yes, he looks a lot like Peter Parker, but then once you read his dialogue, I, I knew immediately yeah, right. who he was. Self-confused friends underwent psychological metamorphosis. Which, if you're not a New Mutants reader, you probably don't know who this is. 
Well, as soon as I read that dialogue, it's like, oh, it's uh, it's Warlock. I guess I didn't really know that he had a human form. I guess it would make sense in order for him to live. He has a human him. disguise that he sometimes uses. Is it an image inducer, or is he able to transmogrify himself into a human? The latter. Ah, okay. So yeah, Kulan Goth's like, you're mine. So I'm gonna transform you, and he starts. Serve me. He starts off with Rain, uh, and when Rain is transformed, uh, Warlock is just like no uh no you aren't that was self's first friend you can't do that so he realizes that he shouldn't have been he he was waiting to see what would happen and hoping that he could make a move based on the next thing that happened but then the next thing that happened was that Gulan Goth started transforming the new mutants into his servants so he tries to uh he figures reigns a lost cause which you know like you said, Rain was his first friend, so he feels mm-hmm. really bad about it. But he tries to rescue the other three New Mutants, uh, Cannonball, Roberto, and Danielle. Unfortunately, uh, Kulan Goth gets to them very quickly, and they become servants as well. So they attack uh, Warlock. When Warlock flies away, he dares not fight them because he might hurt them, and they're his friend. And so he leaves. So I wonder if Warlock, uh, Warlock will appear in the next issue. I don't remember. So Me neither. We'll find out. <laughs> Gulan Goth is looking at his little uh, Xavier Caliban, and uh, he's like, uh, who, who was that thing? Why was it unaffected by my master spell? And uh, the Xavier portion's like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> says it is, it is Warlock's alien nature. He is not of this world. And I guess Kulan Guth has been, Goth has been using uh, sort of a, a Cerebro-esque professor in order to find all the mutants. And he asks uh, the professor slash Caliban to find uh, Warlock. And the professor says, no. But Caliban says, yes. And professor says, no. <laughs> Your will, little man, is as formidable as any I've encountered. You know, I, I just, I, I I like the dichotomy that is created out of melding the Professor and Caliban, you know, the most powerful mutant and potentially one of the weakest mutants together. Uh, but it's never really explained why they do this. And there's so many parallels, you, not parallels, but there's so many conclusions that you could draw. Well, what is, what is uh, Caliban's power? Isn't it to help find other mutants? It's tracking but yeah, one so. could also go as far as to say is that the professor also has his mental abilities to be able to track mutants uh, and so Caliban does too so you could merge those two but right. the professor's got a very strong will and a very powerful mind and he could resist whereas Caliban's probably got a weaker mind and is probably more apt to want to please in order to stay alive I think it's the first one but I like the second one. I just kind of wish there was a little bit more of like, why did I, why were these two guys melded together? Because it's never really stated. Like, we're just kind of uh, speculating here. And that's one of the main issues that I had with this issue, (laughs) issues with this issue, uh, is that we get a really good uh, introduction to this concept and then we just get thrown into it and we never really figure out what's going on. But I think. Which is, so it's, it's okay. Right. I'm okay with that, but you know, yeah, it's a lot of these little details that we're just kind of left to figure out that it don't make the story any uh, less of a story, but it would be nice to know all these things. It could be a stronger story. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, as much as I'm complaining about it, I also find it kind of uh, compelling that it's just like, here's some stuff that happened and I'm okay. not telling you why. And then that is, that is an interesting story choice. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so finally, uh, as Kulan Goth 
intensifies his magic. The Caliban Xavier creature complies and will find more. But nearby in the shadows, did you forget about Celine Adam? Because I did. She was in the last issue. How could you forget about her? Well, no other people from the Hellfire Club have been here yet, and they won't show up. Well, that's true, but I mean, I, I guess I forgot about her in the sense of I didn't. She wasn't. She wasn't in this issue for the last couple of pages. All right, let me put it this she way: she was just in the last issue, yes. so I didn't forget about All right, her. Fine. What I mean to say is, when you first started reading this, did you expect Celine to show up? No. Okay. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> fair enough. So she shows up, and she's unaffected. She's uh, also a sorceress, which is, I think, why uh, Kulan Goth had to deal with um, Doctor Strange because only the um, magical. Uh, are unaffected or have any real effect on him. Right. And Celine has been able to stay off the radar. And apparently, uh, she is. Uh, sh- they have a prior relationship. Yes, they were. They are both very, very old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that they like dated or anything, <laughs> but but they know each other from you know. Yeah, they know of each other. Old timey times. Do you think Way they know? Back, man. Do you think that they both know Apocalypse from the way back times? I don't know. They're, who's Apocalypse? I, I don't know. Just <laughs> If there is a character named Apocalypse, I, I would assume that he's very old. It could be. Anyways, there's uh, some Morlocks, and they've uh, they've trapped Amara and Rachel. Did you forget about them, Adam? No, again, they were in the last issue. Oh, okay. And, and, um, and cluing us in on Celine, you know, I just assumed they would show up. And here they are. They, um... I don't know what their role is here. Um, I guess they're kind of loyal to Kulan Gath, uh, but the Morlocks, they want to bring these two girls in, or maybe Xavier Caliban has tracked them down. Uh, either way, it doesn't matter, because Selene shows up, and she's like, these are not for you, they are for me, and she steals their souls, turning them into a dust. And, and here we see that Selene is still wearing her Black Queen garb. Yeah, she's not wearing much. And so, yeah, she looks over to Amara and Rachel, and she's like, you don't remember me, but I'm Celine. Which is, I thought, well, I guess because the, the prior relationships are kept, but maybe because Celine is a sorceress. Right. She's able to maybe she's manipulate that. Immune to that in some way. Who knows? Or maybe, uh, well, Amara seemed to have a very... Well, they both seem well. Amara would have had a more of a strong connection with her because didn't Celine kill her parents or something? Something like that. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, Callisto and Storm are now in civvies, uh, and they're kind of held sort her of. Mom. Her her father's still alive. Okay. They're held uh, kind of against their will for the military to do some interrogation, but they're kind of like, "What's going on here? We got to do something." Cool on Goth. Callisto's like, "Nobody tur- does that to me." Nobody makes me their toy. I'm Callisto. We got to do something about this. They are uh, psionically uh, contacted by Celine. Um, Aurora notes that she's wearing the garb of the Black Queen. And uh, Celine says, hey, you guys are out, but I need you to come back in and I will help you to retain your memories um, a little bit to the, in the sense that you will know that Kulan Goth is horrible and we need to stop him. Otherwise, the world's going to get uh, dominated by evil. So are you in? And they're like, yeah, of course we're in. Uh, Celine says that like, all right, well, as soon as you come through the curtain, you will remember the essence of this conversation. You won't remember this, but you'll know what you need to do. You'll have enough to, to go forward. Yes. Uh, and you'll also know that Celine is your friend and ally. Callisto, what? what? Callisto's like, do you believe her? 
No. Trust her? Never. And this is when Callisto is looking at Storm, who's picking the lock, and is like, stop showing off. Just use some lightning and blast us out of here. I don't have powers anymore. Callisto's like, what? It's not important. But it is to me. I did not know you cared. You won my place in fair combat as leader of the Morlocks. I wanted to take it back the same way. That means nothing if you're just a human. More importantly, we take care of our own. If someone did this to you and you don't take his life, I will. Uh-oh. Yeah. Ford better watch his back. So, I don't know. Call maybe it- Henry Peter Garage better watch his back. Somebody better watch their back. I like this forming of this love-hate relationship between Storm and Callisto. Yeah, no, it makes sense. They're they're um, they're they're the connected, same. Connected by loyalty. Yes, they're, they're well, they're, they're fiercely loyal to their people, and they uh, have a code of ethics. And right, they just happen to not really be I don't know into the same things, which makes them a in another world they could be best buds. Exactly. So they escape. Uh, guard's like, hey, come back. Stay where you are. I'm really useless. <laughs> I don't know why I deserve a whole full foreground shot, but here I am. <laughs> they go into the sewers, which uh, Callisto knows will wind their way back into New York through the curtain. Meanwhile, back in old-timey New York, Spider-Man is running around, and he's like, what's going on? I'm in Conan the Barbarian. Dun-dun-dun. He's getting chased by new mutants. Why does everyone want to chase or collect the scalp from your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? And he goes into a bar which has every single superhero in it, (laughs) (laughs) apparently. Worst bar ever. Uh, yeah, and he's... Uh, so one thing that it took me a little bit to, to notice, uh, but eventually I did, was he's got brackets around all of his dialogue and nobody else does. Yes, because he is speaking English and these guys do not speak English. Yep. Oh, great. Nobody speaks English anymore. The language sounds awfully familiar, though. I've heard it before. Whoops! And his spidey sense kicks in just as something's coming at him. He's able to dodge out of the way. And the new mutants are chasing him, and that's when uh, Wasp and Star Fox are like, we should probably help. (laughs) Yeah, you know, doing some avenging from the bar, but, uh, you know. Wasp is like, Eros. Get up. I thought your credo was to make love, not war. Every rule needs its exception, dear Janet. And the warrior's courage should not should earn him a f- better fate than the wizard's dungeon, right? <laughs> yeah. So are, are Eros and Wasp a thing? I guess they are in this reality. I have no idea where they are in, in, um, in the Avengers. Star Fox is Thanos' brother, I think. Spoilers. Oh, we know this from way back when. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm catching you up. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, the new mutants eventually capture Spider-Man, and uh, he catches the name Kulan Goth, and he's like, what? That's impossible. So what's happened to New York? If this means what I think it does, I'm in big trouble. The uh, new mutants spot a blonde girl uh, cowering in the corner, and they determine that the Xavier Oracle has pointed her out and they must collect her all right so when you first read this did you know who it was right away the little girl the girl yeah yeah okay i mean it's a it's a blonde girl there's only one blonde girl in this continuity yeah i mean i mean it's not like it's a huge puzzle to figure out but i mean with all the the magics and we got to collect up all the sorcerers and dr strange and celine and then they got to get this blonde girl it's only natural that it's uh Ileana. who is also at this bar 
Yes, they all. Are what, you know, why wouldn't you be at the bar that where the Avengers are hanging out? Man, if New York looked like this, I'd be out for some ale as well. The one part that I was confused about is in the prior panel, uh, Danielle Moonstar looks like. Um, yes, uh, looks James, like a dude, a giant James Proudstar. James Proudstar, yep. I think that's unintentional. Yeah, that's a bad drawing, John Romita Jr. <laughs> well, I think she's supposed to have, like, crusty evil face, and her eyes are, like, flashing red, but it happens to look like the domino mask that he wears. Yeah. So, anyhow, uh, Captain America's here, and, and he's got a shield, and somebody's like, hey, his shield makes him a captain. Yes. Stand aside. We're on wizard's business. And if I refuse, New Mutants, Danny, she's like, well fight you go get their heads and bring me their heads that's when nightcrawler is like oh a brawl a perfect end to a perfect evening eh sweetheart we are also at this bar <laughs> rogue's like only if we win because i'm at the bar too sugar why is rogue green well, I don't know, Adam. Does it really matter? I just want to know why Rogue is green. Well, it's the same reason that Nightcrawler's a sword-bearing swashbuckler. Well, that makes sense, because he's always a sword-bearing swashbuckler. But why is Rogue green? I don't know. Who did she absorb? Did she absorb the Hulk? I don't think she absorbed anybody. I think this is just Kulan Goth's old-timey Rogue. She's like a green barbarian? <laughs> Yeah, but I think we learn that her skin is like hardened and stuff. Like she's like armored and stuff. Okay. And speaking of armored, Colossus and uh, busts through the wall uh, by by Sunder. Colossus and Sunder, Kathum. <laughs> I don't know if Colossus and Sunder are on the same team. They are on the same team. So they are. Both- they're both under the uh, sway of Kulan Gath. And then we get the uh, a very pointless panel or a sequence of panels where we cut back to. Storm and Callisto, who pass through the curtain, re- returning to their former self. And that's all, that's all fine and dandy. But then this, uh, as soon as they cross over, they get attacked by Morlocks, presumably. And but this panel was not necessary. because <laughs> we, we, And the next we see them, we have no idea what happened from this. Yeah. And yeah. why would the Morlocks want to slay Callisto? Uh, that's a good question, because as far as they know, Callisto is still like the captain of the guard or whatever she was she's so, also not wearing very much clothes no she's really not uh maybe maybe what happens off panel is that callisto's like hey it's me callisto and they're like oh cool and she's like take me to the bar where the avengers are Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes we were just heading that way ourselves we have a powerful thirst <laughs> Meanwhile, at the bar, there's a standoff. Everyone's going to get ready to fight. Uh, and then Ilyana, she pulls out her soul sword. Well, first Roberto says, Rebel scum, you are doomed. In a very Star Wars-esque bit of dialogue. Yeah, he does. She pulls out her sword and she slashes at Colossus. And the magic eldritch whatever thing is enough to cut through the magical curse that's on him and turn him back to colossus but before he's able to do anything with this newfound uh, regaining of himself sunspot drops him to the ground well she, he causes an earthquake and um she is surrounded by morlockians and that's when Celine shows up causing all of the walls and the floor to animate and she traps all the morlocks killing them all except for 
um, the ones that Sunder rescues who happen to be the new mutants. It's also explained here that Ilyana, as she's being attacked by the Morlocks, would normally teleport to Limbo. But unfortunately, since she's under Kulan Goth's master spell, she doesn't actually know that she has this mutant ability. I like that. Yeah. So I guess none of these superheroes are fully aware of maybe what their super abilities are. Yeah. So anyways, except for the new mutants. I guess they've been blessed with the ability to know what they do. Mutantized. So yeah, uh, the new mutants are like, oh man, our comrades are slain. Uh, we only have Sunder, but we've got the spider, so let's uh, let's go back to Kulangath. This just feels like dialogue thrown in there that doesn't make any sense with the story. Like, they don't all need to have been slain. It just It's just very convenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, she managed to slay everybody except for the main characters. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> So the Avengers, the X-Men, they're all there like, yay, we win. Uh, Peter's like, thanks, sister. I owe you everything. But then Captain America's like, wait a minute, who came to our aid and why? She struck with a merciless brutality that matched our uh, foes. The Black Queen shows up with her two servants, uh, Amara and Rachel. Who is super scantily clad. (laughs) It's in barbarian age. (laughs) <laughs> and this goes a little bit beyond that. But yeah, sure, why not? I, yeah, anyways. I just don't know how this outfit would work in reality, Adam. It's a comic book. None of the outfits work <laughs> in reality. Okay. Uh, yeah, so she's like, I was far gentler with those, the Morlocks that I just killed, than uh, they would have been with you, dear Captain. So, you know, I made their end quick and painless. painless. So... And we get a super cool panel where she's like, hey, we got to go stop Kulan Goth. And then a giant mouth appears and eats her. I liked that. Yep. Ah, Celine, weren't you always saying that overconfidence, what, would be the death of me? Chomp. And so, yeah, she eats him and, uh, or her rather, and she's like, all right, well. And Kulan Goth says, all of you, you can either serve me or die. You've got, I don't know, a couple hours to decide. You got till dawn. Right. That's when Storm and Callisto show up. Sorry, we're late, Celine. What's our now? Na- oh. <laughs> Which was really, really silly. That is a very silly uh, bit of dialogue there. Uh, I guess some Morlocks are mad and they uh, they show up at the bar, but they're too late. The rebels are gone. I Caliban seek but cannot find... So presumably they went to limbo. Maybe. Celine's here and she's like, well, what a pity. Could it be that there are limitations to your abilities, that you are not as omnipotent as you thought you were? Kulan Goth waves his magic spells and hurts her and says, yes, I am. <laughs> and uh, apparently hurts uh, Celine. Yarg. Um so Man Spider is on his way. So Kulan Goth knows that there's a weird element out to get him. The Avengers are sitting around a fire in one of Callisto's safe houses that Kulan Goth does not know about. Only Callisto knows about this place and nobody can find her. Yeah. So why can't the professor find her? Uh, it's maybe, a, maybe we'll find out next issue. It says the tunnels are all warded against the seeker Xavier's powers, and this is one only I know about. That's convenient. <laughs> Super convenient, but there you go. If you wanted to know why, Adam, there it is. 
They're worried about the girls. They are fiercely loyal to Celine, and they would probably turn against them. And uh, which the girls confirm in the next panel. They're like, yeah. They look at each other, like, do you like Celine? Oh, I really like Celine. Yeah, me too. I wish I was Celine. She's so cool. <laughs> we should totally serve her if we get the chance again. Agreed. So they kind of debate, you know, Kulangoth is evil, but Celine is also evil. But you know, Celine's also on our side, and uh, you know, for for now, Kulangoth is the worst evil. And uh, Magic points out, hey, I'm a sorceress too, but you know, does that mean you don't trust me? And Captain America's like, well, I prefer to trust you because of your deeds. You've been very good, and Celine was very bad. Yeah, we get some whole mute some old-timey mutant stuff here where there's apparently a little bit of uh, angst against the mutants uh, and Captain America's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Nora says, even though we definitely can't trust Selene uh, and we are at a very large disadvantage against Kulan Goth, we have to try using stealth and trickery uh, to confound his sorcery with our wits. And for all his boasting, Nightcrawler, he is no god, merely a man. We may fail, but we must try. And everybody cheers for brilliant speech. There's, Captain America also makes a brilliant speech. There's something weird here. Um, Callisto is confirming that they don't trust Selene and, and Aurora confirmed that. And then uh, she goes on to say, as I suspect, she does uh she now does us the paramount threat however is kulan goth whatever our suspicions of selene we know that he will do that what he will do enslave the world captain including your proud america once he is beaten then we can worry about her how do they is america a thing in old timey land well captain america kind of referred earlier to the place that he was really from but he didn't say america he keeps talking about his land yeah, which is but fine. He, but no, he never did say America, but I guess maybe he said it off panel. Well, I guess the other thing is uh, earlier in the issue, uh, Valerie Cooper told us that everybody in this curtain thinks that the rest of the world looks and feels like this. And uh, Storm and Callisto came out. They realized it wasn't. And then Celine said, when you go back in, you're going to kind of go back to the way it was, but you'll have a recolle- recollection of this conversation and you'll know I'm your friend. But here it seems that Storm knows everything. Like this is only affecting this little area. Area, and if we don't do something, it's going to affect all of America and then the world. So that seems to be kind of counter against what we've already established earlier in the issue. Yeah. That smile, I like, I just wish that that balloon wasn't here and then it would be fine. Yeah. Captain America gives a speech that nobody cares about and then they finish it off with Avengers Assemble. Hooray! <laughs> As Amara and Rachel are, are standing in the background thinking about how great Selene is. The next issue is called Raiders of the Lost Temple. Cool. It's going to have Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. So upon rereading that, I think the only re- like I, I like the story. I like the idea. I like the concept a lot. I just feel like there were too many words to explain what was happening and not enough showing what was actually happening. And a lot of that was very convenient. I wonder I wonder if any I feel of- like it could have been put together better. Yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying. I mean, I guess I liked it uh, uh, just because it was kind of out of left field and there was no buildup for it. It's not a Marvel event as far as I know. I mean, I definitely know that this isn't happening in New Mutants right now. And as far as I know, it's not happening in Avengers and Captain America and Fantastic Four and the rest of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, it's just like this this weird thing uh, that happened. Um, but I'm wondering if maybe Jim Shooter kind of looked at the first draft and he's like, I don't know, these kids, they're not going to get what's going on. I, You need more words in here. 
No way. I always blame Chris Claremont when it comes to adding more words. <laughs> he can't get enough of those words, that Chris Claremont. And he's a good writer, so I can't fault him for that. Them. But uh, sometimes... Sometimes less pic- is more. You got to let the pictures do the talking. Yeah. Sometimes. But, I mean, for for what it is, it's a comic book, right? And this is what comic books do. I, I was able to look past some of those faults, except for that last one when Aurora was talking about America... Uh, and enjoy it for what it is. No, it was it was it was a good issue. It was definitely a change of pace, which was enjoyable. And I'm definitely looking forward to next week because I recall I haven't read it in years, but I recall really enjoying Raiders of the Lost Temple, and not just it's because Spider-Man. of its name. So everybody loves Spider Man. We uh we we did get a we got a note just one just one. It's off the Facebook. It's off the Facebook. It's from. Uh, from Gabriel Oshawa. Yes. And he says that he was making himself a drink from leftover booze in the cabinet and discovered what looked like the makings of an X-Men drink. He named it the Wolverine. I uh, have no idea what the ingredients are, but uh, the, the base of it is like red and, and, well, blood red, if you ask me. But the top does actually kind of have that Wolverine yellowish cowl color to it. So I I could... I could see how it could be called a Wolverine. I feel like it's kind of like uh, John Byrne's version of Wolverine's costume. The, sure. The reddish is sort of brownish and the yellowish is, matches that kind of sure. rusty yellow. Uh, yeah, I'd take that as a compliment. It I, it looks delicious, uh, but I mean, if it's made out of leftover booze, I'd be a little worried. <laughs> It's made from leftover booze. So and not that there's anything wrong with leftover booze, right? I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna like get permanently sick, but I mean you put too like you're basically making WAP at that point, right? Gabriel, we need ingredients. <laughs> How because do- if I take my leftover booze, it's not gonna end up looking like this. <laughs> I know it's not. Mine'll be gray probably. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll have like a glass that size and be like passed out because it'll be hundred and fifty percent alcohol. So yeah. Uh, first of all, well, first of all, uh, we would like to know how did it taste? And second of all, what was in it? Yes. And I guess if the answer to the first question is terrible, then you can skip the second question. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. If you'd like to, uh, reach out to us and share a drink recipe, drink picture, thoughts, comments, concerns, the origin of Kulan Goth. I don't know, anything you got on your mind. You can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go, or you can uh, email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. We're also available on Stitcher, which has been bought out, so I should probably change that. Uh, iTunes, you can find us, of course. Just go searching uh, in the podcast section for Danger Room, where the first thing that pops up, you can subscribe, leave us some stars, leave us some feedback, or you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN, which is 438-9636. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Facebook page, yeah, there's a call button. You can click on the call button, and it'll dial that number. Which really? No kidding. Yeah, I set that up myself. Nobody will answer it, so you don't have to worry about like Adam or I, like you know, getting us out of the shower or something, being like, "Hello," <laughs> like it it goes directly to uh, voicemail, so you can just just talk away, you know. So I hope you like Christmas greetings. One of these days, we will re-record a new message. <laughs> just don't hold your breath. Ha! <sighs> did you read anything else, Adam? Sure did. What'd you read? Uh, Elf Flight nineteen. Involves the first appearance, I guess, of Talisman, who is Shaman's daughter. Alpha Flight goes back in time to witness the birth of a demon. It was 
All right. It's that's good art. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, Captain Britain number two. Captain Britain battles the crazy gang who were characters, imaginary characters that were created by that Jasper's guy. And now they're being told what to do by Slaymaster. So he's back. The crazy gang, like, who can you describe, like, the main crazy gang guy? They're like Alice in Wonderland um, type characters. Did you ever read Excalibur? No. Okay. Because they're. So- I, I take it they appear in Excalibur? I don't know, because I've never read Captain Britain, but there is a gang of crazy-looking people that are definitely in Excalibur, and I find it too much of a coincidence that there would be two crazy gangs. They Probably. Don't... Do they they do they resemble Alice in Wonderland characters? To yeah. the point where one of the characters only says, Oh, for their heads! Uh, probably. <laughs> I mean, who, who wrote the Captain... Uh, Britain's. It's it is by Alan Davis. Alan, Alan, and Alan Davis. Well, no, Chris Claremont didn't. Chris Claremont kicked off um, Excalibur, but I think Alan Davis has something to do with it. Well, Chris, uh, Alan Davis draws it. Ah, okay, so maybe Chris Claremont writes it. Well, I wonder if. But Chris Claremont also wrote the original run of Captain Britain. Okay. Back in the seventies. Okay. Okay. But then Alan Moore wrote the run that created the Crazy Gang, and now. Alan Davis is writing the run that features the crazy gang. And I think it's being co-written by somebody who's, I'm not going to look up his name. doesn't matter. All right. Well, I'll just put a pin in that. And when we get to there, we'll, we'll try to remember. But um, I, I, there's like a guy that looks like Tweedledee or Tweedledum who's who's definitely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, it's got to be the same folks. And there's like somebody that looks like one of the cards from the, the Queen's card party. <laughs> Vaguely remember it. I'm, I'm looking forward to when Excalibur kicks off because I, I think I'll probably read those and summarize those because I never really gave it a fair shake because it was always more expensive than all the other comics. Oh, yes. It had higher quality paper, but anyways. New Defenders number 140 was a weird issue. Um, it opens with Beast sending Vera flowers, but she's still mad at him, but she's only in the first two pages, so we never see her again. Remember her? I do remember Vera. So in the last issue, Moondragon... Um, got her headband removed that was keeping her from being a terrible person. Um, turns out that she was only allowed to remove it because she's not a terrible person anymore. But she does reveal that Bobby and Warren's crushes on her from previous issues was just a manipulation tactic that she was using to try to get them to help her take the headband off. So they're no longer attracted to her. Well, that's good. Maybe a little. Um... The team splits up into two groups and Bobby, Beast, and Gargoyle stay behind. And Bobby comments that Cloud's sex switching, which I don't know if you remember, the Cloud character is switching from being a girl to a boy and Bobby finds it creepy. That is kind of creepy. He says it makes him really nervous, especially when she's a boy. So she can just do this at will? I don't think she controls it, but yeah, she she does it every so often. Okay. And then the rest of the story is weird. Um, it's, it involves a kid who develops the power to, uh, eat, I guess, or, or absorb people's heartbreaks. So in this town, he convinces the entire town that he is a a racist, uh, abuser of women and everybody's heart breaks. And once, once everybody's heart breaks, he then removes all their heartbreak and everybody feels better. It's a weird story. Sounds very weird. There are a lot of like commentaries on racism and stuff like that. It's 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 odd. Yeah. It's interesting reading, but it was odd. Uh, did you read New Mutants this time around? I read uh, well, I read a little bit of it. Not not a whole lot. So the main crux of New Mutants twenty five was that Cloak and Dagger show up 
to help Professor X and the humans get get their powers back from Rain and Roberto. And there's a lot of talking in this issue, and it's mostly people making Cloak feel guilty about not wanting to have his horrible powers back. There's a lot of manipulation by the professor. He's a real D-bag in this one. <laughs> he is a jerk. We've always said it. Uh and then we get a weird use of Rogue's powers. So the Rogue and the Professor merge minds, which allows Rogues to just steal the cloak and dagger portion of Rain and Roberto's powers when she touches them. Mm. So I didn't know she could do that. Mm-mm. And then when she touches cloak and dagger, she's able to return it to them because the Professor is able to hold, hold back her absorbing power. Which again, <laughs> don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> so wait, did Chris Claremont write this issue? Yes. Huh. He sure wasn't ghost written. Maybe it was. It it seems like a very convenient use of her powers that to the point where he also throws in this subplot where magic also takes them all to limbo and exercises the spirits of light and darkness from Rain and Roboto and passes those along in separate panels. To which point I'm like, well, wait, isn't this the same thing that just happened? It was very confusing. Yeah. I, no, I didn't read any of that. I, I was I, I was looking for X-Men-y stuff, and I saw the Rogue stuff, and I was like, okay, that's weird. It wasn't until the next issue blurb where I was like, ooh, I should pay attention. Yes, next issue, Legion. And on the next page, there's a little full-page bio on Chris, no, David, David Holler. Yeah. Who is the son of Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah, that would make more sense. Gabriel Holler and one Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this guy has got some serious mutant abilities, uh, tele- telepathy, telekinesis, and uh, I can't remember what the third one was. Fire control. Uh, Pyrotic. Pyrotic. Something like that. Pyrotechnicalness. <laughs> yeah. So he's he and he has got some mental issues. So he's he's not making any progress. This is from the uh, the journals of Muir Island or something like that. So at some point, uh, 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 Moira is going to have to break the news to the professor, and God help us all. <laughs> she hopes it doesn't break his heart. Yeah. And then there's but if a, it does, she could always just take him over to New Defenders, and that guy, that kid, could eat the professor's heartbreak. So. Oh, yeah, that would be helpful. And he has an in because he knows Bobby. Yeah. And, you know, two other defenders. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then there's a bio on Lila Schnee, which was whatever. The best part of this issue for me was that Cannonball uh, wears a Lila Cheney sleeveless T-shirt through the whole episode, and the professor doesn't like it, but Rogue thinks it's kind of cool. He even says that in the bio. I wish Sam would stop wearing the stuff Lila sends him. <laughs> care packages yes and finally in rom number 63 speaking of things that are happening in the marvel universe that nobody seems to be aware of the sun is still has a giant uh tentacles coming out of it (laughs) whoa via the dire wraith uh population that are taking over the earth so forge has agreed to help rom battle the dire wraith because he doesn't want his planet taken over he learns that his gun is not as powerful as Rom's. Rom's gun banishes dire wraiths to limbo. Forge's gun just robs them of their magical powers. It's still pretty powerful. But he doesn't trust the government still, so he decides he doesn't want to give them access to his gun. But he will build them an amplifier in space that Rom shoot his gun into, and it will envelop the entire Earth with his special nullifier ray, uh, thereby banishing all the dire wraiths to limbo at once. Or removing the entire population of Earth's mutant abilities. No, because this is Rom's nullifier ray, not not Forge's. Oh, right. Still seems kind of dangerous. 
Um, Dire Wraiths, of course, get wind of this and they attack them in space and there's an all-out space battle. Um, in, a, in a word bubble, uh, Henry Peter Gyrich uh, thinks to himself, and we get his true intentions, uh, he's rescuing Forge and he thinks to himself that he needs Forge's weapon to neutralize Earth's superpowered beings and make humanity ascendant. Hmm. I never knew that about Henry Peter Gyrich. Make human beings ascendant? What does that mean? Uh, so that they're the most, uh, they're the dominant species oh, yeah, on the planet. Yeah, yeah, De- definitely. Henry Peter Gyrich is definitely afraid of uh, mutants replacing homo-, homo sapiens. Yeah, but he's talking about all superpowered beings. He's talking about Captain America. Oh, I guess I didn't know that either. I thought he liked Captain America. I thought they were best buds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. There was that issue where Captain America gave him a high five. He was like, Henry, what's up, my man? <laughs> Yo, Henry, what's <laughs> up, Rogers? So Rom and Forge and the government are able to defeat the Dire Wraiths, and the government continues to help build Forge's amplifier, and we stop there. That's it. Wow. Well, then. I'm actually enjoying this run of ROM. Yeah, well, I mean, it's tying. You got Forge and some some kind of carryover with the whole nullifier thing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. All right, well, then, if there's nothing else, and it doesn't sound like there is. Just some old-timey goodness. Until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Stop!